www.stonestone.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Ah, today the shadows are very dark. Ah, ha, ha. Today is Tuesday, September the 11th, 2012, exactly 11 years ago on this date, on a Tuesday. Ah, that was the date we suffered. The attack on the Twin Towers, Pentagon... And that plane that crashed when the passengers so courageously managed to divert it from the White House, apparently. I listened to some of my old air checks uh, from programs I did that week and the weeks following here on KPFA. And I just winced at all of my melodramatic hand-wringing, my... Crazy hopes for the administration, the Bush administration, I was hoping would seize the moral high ground and respond to this horror, Uh, understand that it was a crime committed by fundamentalists against humanity at large, you know. I did all that Cassandra prophecy, and of course... We realized very quickly that uh, while most of us understood the game that George W. was going to use the attacks, uh, oh, that horrific uh, assault by 19 men from Al-Qaeda, that he was going to use it to declare war on Iraq, of course. Um, I just ran on and on then about the ship of state uh, Hitting the rocks, indeed, yes. Um, what nonsense. I I remember reading Auden's famous poem, the one written when Hitler marched into Poland on September the 1st, 1939. Uh, another great date. Uh, those lines about learning once more what every school child knows, those to whom evil is done, do evil in return. Ah. The great British historian Edward Gibbon back in, uh, let's see, the 18th century, right? <laughs> he talked about the human record up to then. He said, uh, Quote, history is indeed little more than the register of the crimes, follies, 
and misfortunes of mankind. <laughs> Read it in the Times. I... Ay, 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 deja vu all over again. Eleven years ago, the mass media was complicit with the Bush administration. They caught up finally, but too late to matter. There's now a show called Newsroom in which they rerun a lot of past mistakes. Uh, recent, recent news, actually. They, uh, the first show in that drama series dealt with British Petroleum. Uh, but it's the one drama series on television that does try to tell it like it is. People are cheering, especially when uh, the characters, Sam Waterston is the elder, the profound elder. Uh, he pins down the Tea Party. He talks about American Taliban. Jane Fonda plays the, the uh, compromiser. Aha. Uh -huh. Anyway, uh, I think that in, what is it, in regard to the, the horrors of ten years ago, I quit listening and turned off, I think, the, the three words, wep well, weapons of mass destruction, the four words, right, uh, uh, we just needed a little, a little card or a plaque, just hold that up, weapons of mass destruction, over and over and over again, we know that trick to say it over and over and pretty soon uh people just just absorb it uh the masses drink the kool-aid and the crime it was a great crime uh well it was perceived as a war uh i think the administration the bush administration uh, did not say so in so many words, but they let it be understood that we were at war with the Muslim world when the facts were plain enough. Yeah, right. Uh, Nineteen men led by Osama bin Laden. They carried out this horrendous crime. Uh, but folks, they had no army behind them, no nation state to back them. I thought that was obvious at once. Uh, I think the notion that, that uh, we were going to sustain a series of hits, uh, anything like what happened on uh, September the 11th, I thought that was absurd, although I understand that terrorism is an ongoing threat, uh, but it is not uh, World War II. It's, I think... What happened, uh, we still suffer in this country from kind of Cold War mentality. Sit uh, George McNamara, old McNamara, Robert McNamara, pardon me, my mind is going, I'm melting. They're all turning into one, one big headache. Uh, McNamara said he couldn't think, couldn't process information without an enemy. Uh, maybe it's just human nature. Ah, that enemy business. Processing the information, yes, the Marines always say, yes, just point me in the right direction, just show me where I attack. Uh, get that guy in our sights. Uh, I think that President Bush uh, had planned his war on Iraq for years and years. We know that now. His own father had been threatened by Saddam Hussein. 
Everyone knows the story. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter what we know. <laughs> the known unknowns, the unknown knowns, anyway. Afghanistan is a sidebar. In a strange way, it has become the, the uh, serious story again. Uh, bin Laden lingered in Pakistan for a decade before Barack Obama managed to kill him. All that's blood under the bridge now. But the dead are still dead. The ghosts are still with us. I begin to see films uh, about the post-traumatic stress. There's one out now about a little boy trying to find his father. He's found a key with a name on it, right? <laughs> it's an interesting film. I don't want to talk about it. It, uh, it seemed to me... Um, is that uh, not just sad, but kind of beside the point. Uh, I want to believe that enough people saw the errors, understood all the political games, and that enough citizens in this country, as well as all around the world, enough people got it to help future uh, leaders, rulers, shift their tactics a little bit, uh, have a different strategy, and hold off before they escalate to violence. Military wars have become as obsolete as chattel slavery. Uh, it isn't that we are not still, what is the word, mean-spirited, <laughs> but all that military hardware is just a, a waste of resources. Even the military knows that. God knows the economic wars are cruel enough. The, uh, the death by technology seems to have taken over. Uh, cultural wars will continue. I'm certain of that. Yes, that's that human nature thing again, so constant. Always we are searching for the other. You know, otherism. Ways to be separate. This week... It's party politics, right? Um, us and them. Our internal civil war. <laughs> I have friends who are breaking up over the uh, Republican and Democratic. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Uh, oh, what are they? These vitriolic little games they play. I remember my favorite Edna St. Vincent Millay letter. She wrote to a friend, she said, uh, I will love you, it was a lover, I guess, I will love you always, no matter what party is in power. <laughs> yes, let's, let's remember, people, uh, the personal may be political, but, gosh, uh, the eternal verities are still with us. The, the great truths of our long journey, what is that, the arc of history. Something, something happening that uh, points towards becoming, becoming uh, the great world, uh, the rainbow, rainbow world. Uh, ours can be a Creole nation. I think, you know, there are signs, even in the long haul, there are signs that we might live in a world where women, half the world, women can become our fellow men. Whoops, that's a toughie. I, 
I'm not sure we can work that one out right up. All of us in this thing together, the nasty behavior at the Republican convention convinced me that the battle, yes, the battle is far from won. The battle for men's minds goes on and on. The battle for men's minds is often fought on the field of women's bodies. We're going to have to get into that before the uh, election. Um Paul Ryan, yes. Electoral politics, all blood sport. No getting out of it. All that time and money down the drain. Uh, why is it so difficult um, going through all that again? I, I keep hoping we'll get a six-year term for the president. Uh, I... I guess it's just hard to get people to see that compassion is just enlightened self-interest. Uh, the old, the old virtues, you know, uh, they really save time and money in the long run. Bill Clinton can be a wuss, God knows, but he did try at the Democratic Convention. He did try to explain in his speech that cooperation works. Stating the obvious over and over again. No one can do it alone. Ayn Rand was a hustler, a con woman. <laughs> she preached individualism, you know, but as a kind of uh, fantasy, a romantic illusion. We are all in this together. It doesn't matter which end of the boat you're in, if the boat is sinking. Our shared fate is the lesson we learn from tragedies, from depressions, the Great Depression anyway. I remember the uh, rich and the poor kind of understood uh, they were in the whole thing together. I'm not sure this time that's working. Uh, hmm, maybe a little bit. Uh, uh, even wars, for a moment, for a moment you see the coming together... Yes, a friend of mine just mentioned the way the uh, Congress of the United States stood on the steps back in in the day, a decade, and 11 years ago, and sang a national anthem, sang, I think, God Bless America, was it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that, that was a, a legitimate, uh, a legitimate occasion. It was legit. <laughs> yes. As what's-his-name says, not illegit, right? Uh, illegitimate wars, I think of, uh, are wars like, oh, Grenada, Panama, wars of conquest, actually, uh, imperial adventures. Um, the age of World War II is over. Uh, long, long gone. I think that... Uh, it's probably the last gasp for someone like old Clint Eastwood, age 82. Old guy yelling at empty chairs. It's a perfect metaphor for the Republican Party. <laughs> I didn't know that Clint Eastwood was that far right. I guess I wasn't paying attention. Uh, <laughs> there's a movie out that... Uh, uh, Clinton made. I, I, I have enjoyed so many of his films. Of course, it wasn't altogether uh, him. Uh, Birdie had um, 
such great actors in it. The movie about Charlie Parker, a uh, movie about Bird. But the recent film is about J. Edgar Hoover. Leonardo DiCaprio plays uh, J. Edgar Hoover, a man who um, tyrannized over uh, the United States for half a century. Judy Dench played his mother. It was so well done, that movie. The historical verisimilitude. Wow! I, I watched it carefully. I watched it twice. And I, I thought, this thing is so subtle. Um, I don't think you could say that it was a lie. But uh, Clint Eastwood did make out J. Edgar Hoover to be a great American. Um, I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I guess he's entitled to his opinion. Yes, opinion is the death of knowledge, I keep saying, but I'm willing to accept the notion that J. Edgar Hoover's paranoia was sincere. I think that he meant it. I mean, he really believed that he was protecting our nation, uh, from all those commies, uh, movie has the Palmer Raids in the 20s. Um, it's his first impression as a young lad, but uh, things develop until Hoover gets going with the thought police. You know, his methods blossom into a kind of police state mentality. That is to say, he went after those who had committed no crimes. Uh, in the film, we hear him say as much. Uh, <laughs> the stuff about Eleanor Roosevelt is just adorable. He he loves the lines about one of the women that Eleanor loved. Uh, lines about the corner of her mouth, that kind of thing. Uh, there was the good stuff about uh, Martin Luther King's, uh, uh, well, uh, tapes of his love affairs. Uh, the, um, yes, I think the meanest thing he did was deport Emma Goldman back in the day, sent her to Russia and all that. Uh, I'm trying to think when that was. I guess it was, well, first of all, during the Great Revolution, but I'm sure history will spin those events, uh, the whole 20th century. They'll spin it this way and that. But the writers and the filmmakers always focus in on individual human beings because, you know, that makes the best story. And uh, we know that human nature is a constant. Uh, it's funny how a psychological study uh, of a repressed or deeply closeted homosexual control freak can be the same uh, today as, as it was. Well, it can't be the same as it was uh, when they wrote Greek tragedies. They didn't even have a closet then. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Certainly, what is that? Um, human nature is a constant. Uh, control, I think. Uh, Self-control. Hoover seems to be a man who was trying to do what his mother told him to do. That is, he was trying to behave himself to... What is that? Uh, what do you call that? Ancestors. He revered tradition. 
His mother wanted him to restore the family's reputation, to amount to something. There you go. The uh, king thing. That, I guess, is a constant in human beings. Uh, I think, well, anyway, uh, <laughs> Hoover behaved himself in the daytime, but uh, I'm sure he acted on his deepest feelings when it was possible or when Mother wasn't looking. Such a portrait, uh, yes, gives us a man uh, who's capable of tremendous self-deception, you know, the... Uh, Kind of thing, I think of Shakespeare's great kings. Uh, Judy Dench uh, says to says to her son, uh, John Edgar Hoover, she says, I'd rather have a dead son than a son who's a daffodil. And uh, <laughs> I thought of the show now running called Boardwalk Empire. You can check that out. It's... Actually, the new season doesn't start for months, but there are two seasons now available on demand, and it's all about the 1920s, and uh, there's a couple of characters working for the FBI, you know, it's the time when the gangsters were so popular, and Hoover and the boys, they decided to dress up the FBI, uh, Hoover insisted on... Uh, uh, formal suits and ties and all that good stuff uh, so that the G-men were as glamorous as the gangsters. Uh, the pathology is plain enough. I don't know whether we call it fascist psychology. Let's just say that uh, they're control freaks. I guess that's as good as it gets without blaming. But the results gave us this huge institution, uh, the secret government, the the other government, um, the FBI, I spy with my little eye for 50 years, we've had these guys, <clears throat> half a century, Shakespeare said it, oh, what a tangled web we weave, when first we practice to deceive, in the movie, we see Hoover die, and he has uh, asked his secretary, a woman he asked to marry him first, but she preferred to be his lifelong secretary. He asked her to see to it that nobody found the files, and we see her shredding the uh, secret files. Now, I do not know whether that happened. I guess the filmmakers decided that that's what did happen. Nixon couldn't find the files anyway. Uh, the movie gives uh, such a Brilliant portrayal, Leonard DiCaprio. I think he should get an Oscar for this one. He was such a pretty boy years ago, Titanic and all that. Uh, <clears throat> his portrait of Hoover is a knockout. Uh, Naomi Watts plays the secretary. And uh, uh, the funniest bit in the movie has to be the... Oh, there was a line... Uh, it has to be when J. Edgar Hoover tells Clyde Tolson, his lover and his uh, number two man at the Bureau of Investigation, uh, he says that uh, he was considering getting a Mrs. Hoover, so he was thinking of marrying the actress Dorothy L'Amour. You remember Dorothy L'Amour? She was in the road movies with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. 
Now, that's got to be true. Clint Eastwood must have heard that from a reliable source. Maybe maybe from Dorothy herself. Anyway, uh, I just think of these, what do you call it, this, uh, this nest of... Uh, what is it? They're, they are the, the rulers, the guys that we never see. I, I was looking uh, in the current New Yorker, and I found a schmooze ranch where they all meet. And it's uh, it's the home of Bill Koch. He's not one of the, the um, two Koch brothers, uh, David and Charles. They collect Republican politicians. Bill Koch collects Old West memorabilia, and he's got a ranch, a bear ranch it's called, and it's a, uh, yes, it's a schmooze ranch in Colorado. Uh, More than 50 buildings there. Permits have been issued for a town, a livery stable, saloon, firehouse, and a period hotel. Anyway, Milkoch has set it up, and he's trying... This is a kick. He's trying to get uh, 1,800 acres of public land adjacent to his uh, to his bear ranch in Somerset, Colorado. Got that? Now, uh, there's a bill in Congress that would give him this place. Uh, check this out. It's in the current 10 September New Yorker. And it's hilarious. Uh, he's bought an old movie set, uh, huge. Uh, let's see, he bought uh, a place near Canyon City, City, Colorado, and moved it 200 miles west to his ranch. Uh, the ranch is a 4,500-acre estate, Colorado. And the buildings, when they were going by, people in the... The next town, we're getting worked up about this new bill, here it says, being proposed in Congress, that would give Bill Koch 1,800 acres of public land adjacent to his western town's new home. Okay, what's the name of this legislation? It's called the Central Rockies Land Exchange and National Park System Enhancement Act of 2010. Boy, he doesn't want to be a lord of the land. It's a federal land swap introduced into the House by Representative John Salazar. Okay, now John Salazar is out of office now. So maybe people got it. The point is uh, this legislation hasn't passed yet, so there's still time to stop it. Uh, Now, Bill Koch, right, donated generously to Salazar's campaign uh, he took Salazar hunting on his ranch. Okay, uh, Bill Cope would give the federal government about half as much land elsewhere and establish a conservation easement on the new land. Okay, there's a lot of material here about some retired local journalist who's trying to put a stop to all this. Uh, it's horrific. <laughs> yes. Right, this is so funny. You know about David and Charles. They're the ones who collect um, Republican politicians. Uh, But there's another brother who collects um, old castles in Europe. 
And this guy, Bill, the fourth brother, he's the one who collects these western towns. And he's going to turn it into a place, you know, those places where they love to go on retreat and uh, get together with all the other crooks. Check this out. Uh, I wish I could read you the whole thing. Uh, most of the people who work for Bill Koch have signed the non-disclosure agreements. But a lot of people are talking. Uh, uh-huh, the people in Aspen. Anyway, it's in Colorado. Check it out. It's Bill Koch, and he he's putting together this ranch, and he's getting Congress to give him all this land if the bill passes. It's in the 10 September issue of the New Yorker. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back same time next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. annual Bay Area Flamenco Festival will take place from September 24th to 30th at venues including San Francisco's Palace of Fine Arts, featuring for the first time in the Bay Area, Jose Mese, one of the world's greatest living flamenco singers, as well as the U.S. premiere of 14-year-old dance prodigy, El Carpeta, of the legendary Farruko family, and an evening of authentic gypsy flamenco, direct from Andalusian wine country, with the 12-member all-star ensemble, Fiesta Jerez. For tickets and information on festival performances, workshops, and film screenings from September 24th to 30th, go to bayareaflamencofestival.org or call Brown Paper Tickets, 1-800-838-3006. Tickets are going fast. You can get yours at bayareaflamencofestival.org or by phone at 1-800-838-3006. This event is co-sponsored by KPFA.